It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, let me tell you something. That's Showtime team. Boy, let me tell you, that's one of the greatest of all times. I, I truly admired you guys and love watching it. Thank you, and, and, you know, it, it seemed like every year we'd be like the eighth seed, and, and y'all would get warmed up on us. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Showtime with Coop Podcast. Insightful bullshit with me by myself today. That's it. My boy Ari's with me. Uh, talk a little bit about the NBA uh, the likes and dislikes about the league. The likes that I love about the league, I think there uh, are no teams that can beat the Lakers, and that's the end of my likes. The dislikes I like about the team. Nothing's changed <laughs> about for you. the league. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here he is. About the league is Clyde's here. Ah, oh, look at this. Beautiful. Hey, what's up, fellas? What's happening? What it be? What it be? What it be? Clyde, how you doing, sir? Macuba is just another beautiful day, man. Okay, there you go. Clyde, listen, we know you're very busy. I want to welcome you to Showtime with Coop Podcast. I want to thank you for a little bit of time. Uh, You've been out playing golf, I understand, and I know as a senior citizen, which both of us are, uh, (laughs) after that, we usually have to get a massage to get our muscles going again. The last massage I got was from Sue Lynn at Happy Endings uh, 10 years ago, (laughs) a massage parlor. So I don't know about all that other stuff, but you doing well, sir? I'm doing well. And my massages, they come to the house. They do. My wife and I, I've been doing it for about 15, 20 years. And when I grow Double up. days a week. Life, when I grow up. Uh, Clive, real quick, everybody, this is Clive Dressing on Nick. I'm going to call out some stats from you, some highlights for this young man right here. NBA champion in 95, 10 times all-star. Uh, first team, all NBA in 92. Second team All-NBA in 88-91, gold medal winner in 92, Hall of Fame inductee in 2006-2004. Clyde, call me if I'm, if I'm messing up. And <laughs> named to one of the 50 greatest players to ever play this game, 22,195 points, 6,677 rebounds. He didn't have to rebound a lot because on one team he had Michael Thompson. On the <laughs> other team he had Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> 6,125 assists, and Clyde didn't have to pass the ball. They were passing it to him. That's how he got the name Clyde the Glide. 
listen, had his jersey retired. I never had my jersey retired. Had his jersey retired number 22 in Portland with the Houston Rockets and with his alma mater, the Houston Cougars down in Houston. And he's also the commissioner of the Big Three, which we'll get into last. But again, Clyde, those are some magnificent numbers. Let me ask you this, Clyde. Who was your role models when you were a young person? Well, you know, growing up, Coop, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, Coop. Uh, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up watching you <laughs> and Showtime Lakers, right? So, so I was excited to finally get a chance to play against you guys. Of course, Coop comes on me with all that defensive stuff, and I'm looking at him like, man, this guy really is that good, right? <laughs> was so, he? Come on, I'm going to say this to you, and I, I've never said this to any of my guests, never. And I, we've had a pretty abundance of people. And, and, and I played this a great one, Michael Jordan, George oh, Gervin, yeah. Dr. J. Clyde, I was scared, I, and I'm being very, very serious. I was always scared to play against you uh, because you were that player that could go off at any time, and I didn't really know how I could really handle you. So – I send that love to you, uh, but don't let that go to your head. But go ahead, anyway. <laughs> hey, Coop, that's a tremendous compliment. Let me tell you, I had the utmost respect. Uh, I always thought, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, you watch all these great players. Like, my my role models were guys like Julius Irvin. Uh, I watched Clyde Frazier. I love Randy Smith. Remember Randy Smith, Coop? Yes, I do. Yes, I <laughs> Buffalo do. Buffalo Braves stopping pot, Randy Smith. Uh, Calvin Murphy, because he was in Houston. But those guys were my, my, my favorite guys. But then the Showtime Lakers, when they had Kareem and Magic and Worthy, Coop, Michael Thompson, uh, Byron Scott, I mean, them teams were phenomenal. If, if you were in the West, you were playing for second place. Let me just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Clyde, let's go back to the early ages, get started. Uh, obviously, you go through basketball. I saw that you got cut from a couple of teams. All I like me, I got a couple of teams. But you find yourself. And, and I guess a friend of yours, Michael Johnson. Oh, uh, one of your childhood friends, Michael Young. Michael Young. I'm sorry, Michael Young. Michael Young got you. Uh, got uh, your uh, guy, Lewis, your coach, to look at you to go to Houston. How'd that happen? Well, uh, you know, in Houston, if you're six seven and and you got pretty good skills, even though there were some games, there was a lot of talent my size, right? They were looking for those big seven one, seven two guys. So they were more focused on them or the really good point guards. The the small forwards or the two guards that were six seven, they thought of them guys as being dime a dozen. You know, when you're in New Mexico, I mean, think about it, they overlook you a hundred times, right? Yeah. So you know what that's like. And so and, and even though I had games where I put up thirty five points, twenty seven rebounds, you know, twenty assists and eight eight blocks and eight steals, didn't matter. They still overlooked. Why? Because a lot of guys don't pay attention. And that's when I found out there are a lot of guys who are not good at their jobs. They let stuff stick, you know, it slide right on by you. But the one guy that was who was on, who called me all the time was Jerry West. Jerry West was like, boy, you'd be a great Laker with your athletic talent and things you can do. He said, we'd love to have you. And this was my sophomore year at the University of Houston when we were five slamming jamming. But that's when you realize, you know, you just got to make it happen because if you rely on the people to discover you, you may be in for a little bit of a disappointment. That's right. So, go ahead. With with Five Slam and Jamma, what was what was your first impression of Haki when you first met him, and how did Five Slam and Jamma come together? Hey, fellas, let's talk about something we can all use more of right now: sex, and I mean great sex. 
Guys, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. So you can be ready whenever she wants that time to happen. Blue Chew is made in the U.S. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait in those tedious long lines. It's even cheaper than a pharmacy, and they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. No awkwardness, and you don't even have to leave the house. If you could benefit from more confidence when it counts, Blue Chew is a fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code SHOWTIME. Just pay $5. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code SHOWTIME to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank our sponsor, Blue Chew, for this podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you can help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use our promo code SHOWTIME at BlueChew.com. That's SHOWTIME at BlueChew.com. And stay ready. With Five Slam and Jamma, what was, what was your first impression of Haki when you first met him? And how did Five Slam and Jamma come together? Well, Five Slam and Jamma was, was Guy Lewis's uh, brainchild. And it didn't happen the way you think it happened. Like, I wanted to play there because they had a guy named Rob Williams. Remember him, too? Yeah. <laughs> Rob Williams could play, dude. I played against him in high school. He was a year ahead of me, and he would get 40 points with two guys like me on him the whole game in a boxing one. He was really good, right? And then they had a guy named Larry Mitchell, and I knew how good those guys were. And so Michael Young, 6'7", was a player of the year in the state of Texas, and he and I were just good friends. We used to play every day and practice on our game. So I said, Michael, wouldn't it be great if we got together with Rob and Larry Mitchell and stayed home? Well, he had offers to UCLA, Coop, and he could go anywhere in the wow. world. I only had about 10 offers, Texas Tech, Rice, New Mexico, <laughs> your place. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you. So I said, Michael, you know, my options are limited, I, but I really want to stay home and go to U of H. Well, so I, I convinced Mike, well, U of H wasn't even recruiting me, to be honest with you. Then wow. they finally called at the witching hour because let me tell you why. There, there, and I'll make this quick. There was a coach at Texas Tech. His name was Gerald Myers. Uh, Rob Evans was the assistant coach. You know Rob for many years. Well, Rob used to live in my house, right? And I gave them a verbal of Texas Tech that I was going to play for them, right? Wow. And every time they would send me, they would, uh, I would get a plane ticket and go there on the weekends my senior year, and I would just destroy their guys. And so the coach would go, boy, are you sure the University of Houston not offering you a scholarship? I go, they have not even called me, dude. Wow. So he would – he thought that was the funniest thing in the world, right? So he sent Guy Lewis, him and Guy Lewis were best friends, drinking buddy. He sent Guy Lewis a, 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 a whole letter back then. Wow. It wasn't Pony Express, but it was a letter. He said, <laughs> Guy Lewis, I'm about to get the best player in the state of Texas, and you dummy, you don't even know who he is. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you know so he recruited against himself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, but, but he thought I was already committed. It was a week before the signing day. Well, the letter got there early. And Guy Lewis is one of the most competitive guys in the whole world. Guy Lewis is on a mission to find out who this was. So he started calling everybody. Hey, Michael Cooper, you know, wow. you're one of our recruits. Who's the best player you played against? And if he said, you know, 
uh, uh, Kareem, well, well, Kareem's on the list. Well, he got to Michael Young, who's the best player in the state at the time. He said, Michael, who's the best player you played against? Michael said, that's you. He said, that kid in Sterling is every bit as good as me, if not better, right? He said, Clyde Drexler. Well, I wasn't on his list. 30 minutes later, Guy Lewis is at my house. Oh, and this wow. is two days before signing day, Coop. So, wow. you know, and I'm mad because I wanted to go there the whole time. So he finally comes over. He calls, and, and he's got his uh, letter of, uh, of offering you a scholarship. When he gets to the – and my mom, she, she, she was clued in on everything. She, you know, my mom's my buddy. She, she said, you make sure you're nice when he gets here, right? So when he opened, when he came in the door, I answered the door. I said, where the hell have you guys been? <laughs> <laughs> so my mom said, that's it. You get in your room. <laughs> Clyde, you know what? I am so glad you mentioned your, your, your mom because that brings me to my next question. You majored in financing and you worked at a bank in the summertime. Is your mom the reason or your parents the reason for you being a true? And I, I want to tell you, talk, I want you to talk to a little bit about the young kids about truly being a student athlete to push you through school and make sure that them academics are done. Coop, you know about that. You're the same way. Academics is equally as important as your athletic prowess. And so, you, you know, that's only a piece of who you are. That's not who you are. You got to get deeper than that. Don't, don't stay on the surface. Academics are everything. You got to, you know, you're only going to be able to play sports for 10, 15 years if you're lucky. But after that, you got a whole life to live. And I look forward to that. So finance was my major. Ended up getting a major uh, a, a, a degree in kinesiology uh, because, you know, I, I did leave after my junior year, but I had to go back. So I made it shorter. Okay, <laughs> You know, back then, if you were pretty good, you could leave in your junior, sophomore year. A lot of guys did that back then. Uh, but, huh. but for the most part, you know, it's, it's just a pursuit of, of, of a better life and, uh, you know, just trying to be the better version of yourself. And as an academician and, an, you know, a guy who considers himself an avid reader, it's been the best thing that I've ever done. Because a lot of those guys, Coop, that, you know, you and I went to school with, they weren't in the academics. And you see where their lives, they hadn't turned out so well. And so it's a choice you make. And luckily, luckily I made the right one. Oh, you always did, but and you don't have to hire a, a, a finance account to handle your money when you get it. You handle your own money. <laughs> hey, Coop, you don't know this, but my first agent in the NBA, he wasn't an agent. He was my representative, right? It was Fred, La- Fred, Fred Slauson. <laughs> you didn't know that. Did you? I love Fred. Fred was a great guy, man. <laughs> oh, I know he loved you guys, and you know every time I come to LA, we talk about you and Norm and Jamal, and I was like, oh, I was in awe, dude. Trust me. <laughs> Fred was a great guy. So you go through. Oh, this is one last thing with college. I was so in awe and envious of you guys when you guys had that five slammer jammer. That that was something. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Mishaw because he was one of my favorite of that team. <laughs> Uh, that, that guy could play, man. People underestimated him. But the way that you guys were dunking and so athletic and creative, I was like, you know what? I surely wish I could have went to a school like that. What was it like in the locker room? Coop, it was better than it was more fun than it looked. And you're absolutely right. Larry Mishaw was a beast. 6'9", 250, was a prototypical power forward. He was every bit as good as Carl Malone and could have had a, the same kind of NBA career. But back then, if you can remember, the minimum salary in the NBA in 83 was 75000 And so he could go to Europe and make 600000 So yeah. he played in Italy for about 15, 20 years. He was MVP for about 17 of them. And he, he could really play, dude. So that, you're absolutely right about that. But, but it was great because it was a good environment. It was an academic environment. We had to be accountable in the classroom. Uh, uh, but but, I, but but you know it was one of those deals where it's a fun team. But we came out of nowhere. Like yeah. no one knew who I was. 
matter of fact, Coach Lewis, when he finally got me there, got hate mail for recruiting. Who is this guy, Drexler? You know, we don't know who he is. He's a bum. Come to find out a month later, I'm the first freshman to ever start for him in, what, 30 years, right? So, it, you know, just people just don't know what they know, Coop. So it, it taught me a lot about just taking care of your business. But you asked me the question, what was it like to see Hakeem? Michael Young and I got there, and they had Rob Lewis and Larry Michel. But Hakeem came September the 30th. We enrolled September 1st. He came September 30th. A friend of Guy Lewis sent him to uh, St. John's and University of Houston to see if they want to keep him for their basketball team. Well, he got to New York. I think it was snowing outside, and uh, Hakeem didn't like that. So he said, he asked one of the flight attendants, what's the weather like in Houston? She said, it's tropical and warm. He said, I want to go there now. So he had his ticket changed right, <laughs> right to Houston. Wow. There wasn't nobody there. To, wasn't nobody there to pick him up. Now, you got to understand. And so when he came to Houston, he, he caught a cab to the athletic uh, department, and we were there to greet him. That, so I was one of the first greeters, wow. and we've been, we've been great friends ever since. He ended up redshirting that year. He came off the bench the following year. And then about that third or fourth year, he became the dream. <laughs> so that's like, don't, don't, don't bet on you guys, right? Don't, 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 don't bet against us. That's one of the don't bet. Well, we came from nowhere. Think about it. If, if Hakeem had gone to St. John's, Lou Conaseca was the coach. He was more guard-oriented. I don't know if he would have stuck because he didn't know a lot of basketball. Did not and know. Ewing was at Georgetown. Yeah, yeah, but this was even before then. Yeah. But, but Hakeem, Guy Lewis was a consummate big man coach. In his day, he was 6'3", and he wow. considered himself the best post guy in the world. And he could teach anybody, no matter what size, how to play the post. So Hakeem came to the right guy, trust me. And you're hey, saying Clyde. he developed him like that over the over those two years to that to the point where he became the dream? Yeah, well, yeah, Doc, he had Guy Lewis working with him. He had teammates like me, Michael Young, Larry Mitchell, right. guys who loved him and worked with him every day, and a couple of other guys. And then he had a guy named Moses Malone, who's three-time MVP of the league oh. as his mentor. Come on now. <laughs> but Hakeem <laughs> worked his butt off to become the dream, trust me. Yeah. Well, Clyde, listen, stop sitting on the sideline and get in on the fun and action with Bet Online, okay? Bet Online today at betonline.ag, your online sports book expert, Clyde. That's just a sponsor for us. Clyde, you finish up in Houston. You're the 14th player picked in 1983 by the Portland Trailblazers. What were your expectations going there? Well, I, I had no expectations, Coop. But, you know, my dream was to make an NBA team. And to make an NBA team was tough back then. You know that. Yeah, yeah, they have real game. And going to Portland, they had a guy named Jim Paxson who could really play 6'5 from Dayton. He was averaging 21 points and an all-star. They had a guy behind him named Jeff Lamp from Virginia who they had just drafted the year before me with the number one pick. And I'm thinking, well, shucks, they're stacked. And Jack Ramsey was one of those old-school coaches. You know, I'm coming from five slammer jammer, and Jack Ramsey is the king of the half-court offense, right? <laughs> you got a racehorse <laughs> and a half-court set. So I'm thinking, how is this going to work out? But I, I tell you what, I learned so much from Dr. Jack. Uh, he was patient. And to this day, I say he's the only guy that ever stopped me. <laughs> oh, Clyde, I gave you a little bit of problems. Huh? He's the one that stopped you a little bit. <laughs> well, Mike, well, you can make me have a bad night. But Jack would stop me from even getting in the game, okay? <laughs> Listen, uh, Clyde, what was it like playing with Michael Thompson? <laughs> oh, Michael Thompson was an awesome player, man. Bells don't get enough. He don't get enough love for his game. He was an 18-10 guy with about five assists with three blocks, and he could guard anybody on the court. 
and that was consistent night in and night out. Those are all-star numbers in today's game, perennial. I mean, he would be a 12, 15-year all-star. So he didn't get enough respect for his game. He was a franchise player for many years and one of the funniest guys on the whole team. Loved it. Oh, he is funny. But you know what? He got knocked out on our team with Michael, uh, with Byron Scott. Because, you know, Michael thinks he's a boxing aficionado. You know, he no. knows Thomas Hitman Hearns, Ali, and all that. Well, he was boxing with Byron, and Byron knocked him out in the locker room. So next time you t- talk to him, tell him about that. No, he went, hold on, what do you mean knocked him out? He, like smelling salts? Knocked him out. Yeah, they were in fighting. They kind of like low close fight, and Byron hit him with a hook on his chin. And he fell. <laughs> but, but here's the funny part. If you know Michael like I do, Michael's not a fighter. Michael's At all. The the world. So he was I got the nickname Bells. Was he Bells with you guys? Yeah, he was Bells, but he was probably playing. And Byron said, you know what? I'm going to go down tagging. <laughs> Michael's not a fighter, trust at, me. At all. We're at the point, uh, Clyde, I have what I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to give you six names and just tell me a little bit about them or explain as much as you want about them, okay? You got it. First one is Zena Garrison. Oh, Zena Garrison, one of the greatest tennis players to ever play the game. From Houston, went to high school with me and just a phenomenal athlete for many, many years, man. She was our top, you know, American player, one of the first black players since Althea Reese to actually go deep in the majors for many, many years. Love it. Next one is the late, great Jerome Kersey. Jerome Kersey. Bang him up, Jerome. I love Jerome. His style of play was infectious. He's going to – it was like you, Coop. When you had to come play, Coop, you better – you got to get your sleep. Yep. Make sure you eat well before the game because you got a war coming. Jerome was the same way. He took it serious. He was a professional. Love – you know, he was my rookie for all those years, right? I played 10 years with Jerome Kersey. And he was a he was a dream teammate. Loved him like a little brother. Uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Oh, one of the greatest to ever play the game. Michael was so quick. He had such quick feet. He could make his shots from anywhere. He was the ultimate competitor. Uh, uh, played with him with the dream team. Just a hell of a player. And and and, and what made him so special is he didn't take nights off. I love that about him. Real quickly uh, before oh, your next guy, there was a rumor. There's a, there's this long persisting rumor. That the 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 Trailblazers drafted Sam Bowie and not Jordan number two because they had you. Is there any truth to that rumor? That ain't no rumor. That's the truth. That's the truth. It's one hundred percent the truth. So yeah, what, but what I, you don't know, what you don't know, they had Jim Paxson, who averaged twenty one a game. He was the starting two. Then they had Jeff Lamp, who was the number one pick the year before me. And then my year, I'm a two guard. They can't. They couldn't pick a two guard three straight again. years. Yeah, yeah. So that's the real reason. So what would a backcourt of Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan have been like, though? Oh, it would have been great. Or if we had won the coin flip, think about this. I could have played with Hakeem. Oh, yeah. my God. So I, missed, so I missed out playing with Hakeem. We lost the coin flip. And they didn't draft Jordan. I missed out playing with him. So you got to be kidding me. So all that time, even at the time, Michael Thompson, who, who we love, Michael Thompson say if Clyde and Jordan play together, they're going to have 10 championships. And will rule the NBA for the next 15 years. I agree. I definitely. He agree. said that in 1984. Yeah. Wow. So he he was trying to get him to drop Jordan because why? Michael was the center. He didn't want another 17. <laughs> uh, next on the list, Kobe Bryant. Kobe. Oh, love the mama. Mama was fun to watch. He ultimate competitor. You know, he brought his game. A guy took. He's a serious professional. Serious about his craft, and he's just one of the best players of all time. Love him. Uh, Clyde, we lost a great one today. Another great one, uh, the late, great Hank Aaron. 
Yeah, the Hammer and Hank is iconic. I mean, all the stuff he went through in pursuit of breaking that home run record took a tremendous amount of courage for that guy to per persevere and, and make it happen. The ultimate respect for Hammer and Hank, even after his career, he owned a bunch of BMW dealerships, was extremely successful, and just one of the nicest wow. guys you've ever met. Oh, Clyde, you uh, finish up in Portland, you get to Houston, and you're right there on the verge of winning championships. Obviously, you had to go through us on the West, but you finally get to Houston with uh, Otis Thorpe, Elijah Wan, and y'all turned that mother out. <laughs> i tell you what, I was training for Thorpe, so he went to Portland, and, and Elijah Wan and I played together in college for two, three years, and so we had great chemistry. We played together in all the All-Star games, and in the summer, we played together all, every summer. So, you know, he was like a brother, Coop. And so going back to play with him and, you know, in your 12th year, teams kind of give up on you if you had a couple of injuries. But I had gotten back really healthy. <laughs> and so I was like, that's why I wanted a chance to compete for a championship because I knew what I could do. If give, if, if on the right team, you, you're going to be able to help, right? But being able to play with the Dream and coached by Rudy with Robert Ory, Big Shot Bob, you got Mario Ellie, Sam Purcell, Kenny Smith, Maxwell on that team, Pete Chilcutt. Chucky Brown, what a great team. What a great – Charles <laughs> Jones, I mean, just great guys, man. Yeah. Chucky Brown's a character. I bet he kept y'all laughing. That guy. Oh, every day, every day. <laughs> so, Clyde, um, after winning a championship there, what, uh, what was the city like after you guys finally got it done? Well, for me, you know, being in Portland, we had gone to the finals two, three times at best record in the league. And, and then they started uh, breaking that team down when I had my injuries after the uh, dream team. So I had a couple of subpar years with injuries. So, you know, they start breaking that team down, Coop, thinking our window is over. And so for me to get to a team that had a chance to win, I was ecstatic. And so the city was all fired up because they had won the championship last year. Now we got Clyde. Now we're supposed to be better. So the pressure was on me. It wasn't on me. It was a lot on the other guys, but it was more so on me because they broke up a championship team to make that trade. So I had wow. a lot of pressure, Coop. And coming back home, friends, family, you know, you know right. alumni, it was perfect, man. It was like something made out of Hollywood. You come back home and you win it in the first year. Come on, man. Does it get any better, Coop? Does it get any better, <laughs> baby? And better both you and Coop? Yes, it does for you, Clyde, because after <laughs> everything you've done in the NBA – and all of a sudden, we're losing in the Olympics in 78 and all those years like that. And they finally put together that dream team. And you become part of that. What was that like? The dream team, the best team ever, ever assembled. And I'm not biased at all. <laughs> but, but let me tell you. It you was. Know, Magic, didn't, Magic didn't play that year, Coop, in 92. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know if he could play or not. But we were certainly hoping he could. And so Michael could play. Michael and I won the finals in 92, Chicago and Portland. So I kind of figured we'd be there. Scotty was there. Uh, uh, Chris Mullins, John Stockton, uh, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, all these Christian Leitner, all these great players. And so just to be a part of that. And did I mention Larry Legend and Patrick Ewing? Just to be a part of that was special. I mean, it was very special because it was one of those deals where, the you know, our college kids were, were beating them. But the professional players were playing in the NBA and they'd go back and they could play for their country which means they're going to beat our college guys, right? So, of course, the USA got smart and started throwing their pro players into the Olympics, and that was the first year. I was lucky to be a part of it. It was a great moment in time, coached by Lenny Wilkins, Chuck Bailey, great guys to, to, to play under, and Mike, I mean, Coach K. I mean, just an incredible experience, man. 
We brought our families. Everybody got to know everybody on a personal level. Which you know, Coop, back then, you couldn't stand guys who had on a different jersey. Yeah. So, to yep. be on the same team with them for three months, that was a different experience. And it was a great experience. One of the best of my life. How, how was the practices? I bet those were very intense. Well, with Michael and Magic chirping the whole time at each other, I mean, those two completely, completely competitive. I had an, I, I was recovering from a, a, a meniscus problem on my knee. So I was just biting, chomping at the bit to get surgery. The minute that, you know, I didn't want to miss the finals. You either played or you didn't, Coop. You know, yep. you're on one leg, so you either play or you don't. And then the Olympics, I didn't want to miss that. So I'm limping on one leg in both of those events. And I can't wait because, you know, if you keep playing on it, you have to get it drained. And you don't want to have that many needles in your, in your knee. So I had to get it drained about 40 times from March until September, right? So to play in the finals wow. and the Olympics. So, so you can imagine, Coop, I've never been a big practice guy. <laughs> so and with my knee hurt, I could care less about that. <laughs> you a gamer. But those guys, it was entertaining just listening to them. Larry Bird and I used to sit back and just die laughing. <laughs> what was Spain like? What was Spain like then? And how, how, well, how, I mean, was it crazy? You guys were like the Beatles in Europe. Oh, yeah. I mean, com- completely uh, a ton of attention. And, 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 and it was a great experience because we were able to make it a successful one. But there was no doubt. We were going to beat team. It's like playing against your little brother. You knew you were going to beat him. It just depends on how bad you want to beat him up. <laughs> you, know, you know, Clyde, and I always say this. I think at that point in time in the game of basketball, because we were trying to lure some of the international players, and once yeah. you guys got over there, I think the influx of the international players really became big. You started getting a lot of players coming over. Yeah, Dirk said Dirk said that the Dream Team was a huge influence on him. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, because that team was special. I mean, some of the greatest players to ever play on the same team. So it was it was a bunch of rock stars, but it's still basketball. And the fact that everyone bonded and, and, and played their role was very mm-hmm. special. Very special. So, uh, Clyde, what do you think of the NBA today? Well, Coop, I, I love it. It's still preseason, in my opinion, right now. So you look at the games, and it's still, you know, some of the guys are polished and some are making, you know, just crazy turnovers. But, you know, the game is great. I still love it. Some incredible players. Your team in L.A. is feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, right those now. guys are good. What, what do you think about happening with Harden, though? Yeah, the Rockets have shot themselves in the foot. I think the, the moves they made are going to be detrimental for the next four or five years. And so, like, stop made, being stop being nice. Shot them, they shot themselves in the ass, man. They ain't going to, <laughs> they won't be able to sit down for a while. They have blown it. But you know what? I, listen, I like Coach Silas. He's a young coach, and I like the yeah. fact that he got those young players. This is, this is the little lining for them. Got the young players playing hard. So cool. Let me tell you something. You and you neither I would ever want to be on the team. Like that. <laughs> we want to win. We want to make the playoffs and do well. That team is four or five years away, if then. What do, you, what do you think about what James Harden did to the Rockets? I think James did exactly what he had to do to get out. I, I, I don't fault him for that because James is a, a winner. He plays extremely hard. He averaged 36 points a game last year. Coop, how hard is that? That's, that's hard, man. You, you know how hard that is. Ridiculous. And, and especially when defenses are night. geared to stop you. Especially right. when Three defense is here to stop you. Every time down the court. Yeah. Three. And so that guy is the best offensive player in the game today. And let me tell you something. I thought what he did was he, you know, he got, he done made all his money. He got all the records. For him, it's about winning the championship. And so that's what he's trying to do. So I don't fault him for doing that. 
because the Rockets didn't surround him with the kind of talent that would help him win. Hey, you listen to Showtime with Coop podcast. Insightful BS from our Laker teammates and NBA legends. And we got Clyde Drexler in the room. Clyde, a couple more things for you. You know what? In our playing days, there are good days and we have bad days. And there's one bad day that you had that I'm going to bring up that you probably don't want to remember. But you know what? The officials, and I was telling Ari this earlier, the officials back in our day, we could talk to them a little bit. They're really, really uh, tender ear now. You get a technical for anything. But there was one official, my official was Mike Mathis. Remember him? Mike yeah, Mike, I remember Mike. Uh, redheaded Mike, Mike. Yeah. And Clyde, as I was looking through your bio, yours is Jake O'Donnell. And you got ejected in 95 in a game against the Phoenix Suns. And I quote, Jake O'Donnell says, I wouldn't give Clyde Drexler much leeway because of the way he reacted with me all the time. I thought at times he would give cheap shots to players, and I just wouldn't allow it. What happened there? <laughs> well, all I can call is bullshit. <laughs> hey, hey, all I can say is I'm not the one who got fired for doing something illegal. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know what? I've heard of players getting coaches fired. I ain't never heard of a player getting a referee fired. <laughs> hey, hey, hey I, I, I am so far beyond that because, you know, when, when, when you, you had some of the referees back in the day, Michael, they would cheat their asses off and you knew it. <laughs> Well, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. And so the reaction, if you're cheating on me, you got damn right, I'm going to give you a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Clyde, listen, thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. I really enjoyed it. Oh, my last thing about you, uh, the big three, being the commissioner of that. You want to talk a little bit about that? The big three, Coop, you know, we love the big three. It's a great game, three-on-three, professional basketball, half court. You got to love it. Our games are sold out. And very, very competitive. And, and, you know, a lot of the ex-NBA guys, they always go, man, I love the big three. How do you guys get them guys to play so hard? Well, that's because they're like one family. You, you pick your captain and he picks the rest of the players. And so they're like one team and they don't want to be the yummy bears of the league. So they play hard. <laughs> you know what that's like. <laughs> but I love the big three. Ice Cube, Jeff Quandance, co-founders, great guys. And uh, let, let me tell you something, the guys – I have been afforded a wonderful opportunity to play with the big three. Hey, Clyde, I said the reason they like it because they don't have to run to the other end and play defense. <laughs> hey, we used to love three-on-three half court. We all started with that. So to have a professional league where well, that's the case, and that's why guys like Joe Johnson or Corey Maggette or Steven Jackson can still be very effective because, you know, and, and you play once a week, you only play in half court. Those guys are still who they were almost 10 years ago. So that's why the games are so good. Gatino, Mobley, I mean, those guys are phenomenal. Ty, if you're playing in today's game, what kind of money would you command? Coop, what's the max? Is it 50? Is it 50? Depends <laughs> on how many years. Depends on how long you build the team. I'd have a Patrick Mayholmes, 50 for 500. 10 years for 500, Coop. Yeah, and then I'd hang it yeah, up. He would. Bye, <laughs> Drexler. Thank you, my brother. I love you always, man. Continued success. Uh, you want to tell us about anything you got going? Oh, no, no. It's a pleasure to come on your show, Coop. Anytime, anytime. I'm delighted to be here. I had a lot of fun. But let me tell you something. That Showtime team, well, let me tell you, that's one of the greatest of all times. I, I truly admired you guys and love watching it. Thank you, and, and, you know, it, it seemed like every year we'd be like the eight seed, and, and y'all would get warmed up on us. <laughs> well, 
Clive, listen, we worked hard because we knew if we came with our least, least in our, our A game that y'all was going to beat us. But it was fun playing basketball throughout the whole NBA in the 80s because you always had to come play your best game. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Let me give you so, – so the Lakers, they got Coop as a starter. Michael Thompson's a starter. They would be starters everywhere. So you got Byron, AC, Magic, Kareem, and Worthy, right? And, and, and I come there in Portland, and I got Caldwell Jones, who was in his 20th year. I got Richard Anderson from, from UC Santa Barbara, who was a 10-day contract pickup. Uh, I get, <laughs> so I looked at my team. I looked at them as we're warming up. I looked at Joe Ronson. I looked at mine. And I said, ain't that some shit? <laughs> what are the expectations here? <laughs> but, but that's what it was like playing against you guys. <laughs> thank you. Clyde, have a wonderful day, brother. Talk to you soon. And again, thank you so much for being on Showtime with Coop. Anytime, Coop. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>